Today's Intern Whisperer Employer Tip of the Week is you benefit greatly by working with interns. We did a skills-based study of interns and their employee mentors. 93.1% of our E4C employers reported their mentoring skills improved tremendously. That was strongly agreed and agreed. Mentoring skills are in demand and they accelerate skill development for employees and increase retention. So sign up today to become one of our employer mentors with E4C, Employers for Change. Welcome to the Interim Whisperer. Our show's all about the future of work and what jobs and all of the industries are gonna look like in 2030. And our guest today is Sue. And you're going to tell me I'm saying your name wrong, but I'm going to give it a shot. Sue, I know it's not Bole because I think you taught me that. It's Sue Bol. Bola. Bola. Today's guest is Sue Bola with Serious Play Conference. A little round of applause. One of my favorite women to talk with. So I'm so excited to have you as a guest. I know it's going to go great. Um, tell us about yourself with just five words, Sue. Oh my, well, um, optimistic, um, thoughtful, hopefully um, a leader because I've run an agency and I tend to grab the podium or tend to grab the, the responsibility of leadership sometimes. Um, my daughter says I'm driven, um, but now I'm retired, so I'm trying to get out of the driving seat. <laughs> Actually, not really retired, as you know, but um, past the age when most people do retire, and I don't apologize for that. I want to stay interested. I want to keep learning. I want to keep contributing, and I certainly am a person saying women deserve to have every opportunity. That's uh, some really good stuff. So that obviously supports that learning side. I added one for you because out of all of what you were sharing there is continuous learner. I, I totally find you to be that person. Driven, I would absolutely uh, be, be in favor of that word choice too. Optimistic, I think so. I think you were extremely optimistic, but that's like three. What are your other two? Do you have two more? Um, um, sharing. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, athletic. because you have a background kind of in education also. I definitely have a family background in education, and I was a high school teacher for three years before I embarked on a change into a more specialized field that I felt would help me grow. Mm. And you mentioned, I think, athletic just a minute ago. Well, I had a family also that was very athletic. My mother was one of the earliest golf stars and played uh, exhibition games with Patty Berg, if any of you remember your grandparents talking about her. Um, but also my father was a coach and athletic director. My brothers were all state, all American in one case. And there wasn't much for women then, but I'm now hopefully getting my granddaughter who's nine into sports. And I just loved all the years I watched my daughter play volleyball in an, in an NCAA team after Title IX, which led more women to have an opportunity to actually be in sports. 
I find you to be a woman that's very, very inspiring. So I know one of our questions later down the road is, is like, what would you tell women that want to get in? And let's just go ahead and throw it out right now. What would you tell women that are interested in getting in PR or in the game industry, which in the game industry is predominantly male? I don't know about the PR industry, but what would you tell them that they should do now to be able to be seen and be heard, you know, so to speak? Well, PR is now a major. Um, and there are some very good schools of public relations. When I went through college, there was journalism, which is the field I really count myself as being in first. Um, now you can go and learn P PR. But I think the important decision that I always tell young people, always told young people when they were working for me, is that don't get into PR if you want to quit about age 45 and cruise, um, which is kind of what I associate car salesmen, insurance agents, and uh, they can get a stable of, of customers and then that's what they do for the rest of their life. Public relations is a field where you must totally change. If you think about it during the majority of my career, we didn't have social media. So things tumbled upside down um, after I'd been in um, that career for some 30 years. So if you wanna choose the, the, the field of public relations, be ready to learn. It is an influential field. You get to help other people make decisions about their businesses and then go and sell that story to an editor. Somebody yesterday described public relations success as being also not only a writer, but also a salesperson. Um, we didn't used to use that term in PR, but I would agree with her that if you wanna be great in PR, you have to learn how to go out and sell yourself, which is a lot of what selling is regardless of your product. Um, and you need to also be able to reconstruct what someone tells you they do into something that is very easy to understand. And, and you, able, you need to be able to discern out of that description what is unique and different because the press does not write about things they've written about before. They always wanna know what is new, what is different, what they can write about that teaches someone else something. So you must sell your companies on the basis of why your product is different or why the company, the company is different and has something that they can actually inform other people about and they can use. I agree I, with you. I think selling is, is, we are always selling. We just don't think of it as that way. Selling can be when you're in the grocery store and you say, oh, look at this, uh, these bagels. I love them, they're awesome. And you're just talking to a complete stranger and the stranger is easily influenced by the fact that, I don't know you, but you said this is great and they buy them. So that's an example of selling, right? Influencer. It is, we're all influencers on our friends. I mean, everybody ends up asking for opinions because they want to know from someone else that's used the product, what it's like. I agree with that. It's totally the beginning of selling. And you also have to be, uh, speaking for people that are thinking about careers, you have to be thinking about selling yourself if you want to get to the place that you want to be. From the beginning, you need to learn things about looking across at someone else and selling yourself like eye contact. Do you have good eye contact or how could you work on making it better? Also, what have you learned about the person you're going to interview with to make them feel comfortable with you and yourself? How do you sell that you are different you are the better person for the job, as opposed to just saying you are, which is a turnoff to me. 
So mm -hmm. when I was an employer, always think about what you're going to say ahead of time, be prepared, just like any business meeting. Mm -hmm. I agree. One of the things I just supporting this, I, I can definitely support what you're saying, too, is I go when somebody, anybody I'm interviewing and they say, oh, no, I really don't want to be in sales. I go, how did you get your first boyfriend or girlfriend? How did you get that first job? Of course, you're selling, you know, in the same mindset as you. We just don't seem to see it as that. Right. Well, I think it's the difference between believing in your product or thinking that you're trying to sell something you're not quite sure that you believe in. Yes. So I would choose an employer who has something to sell that you do believe in. Mm -hmm. So definitely having interest. I get that yes. one. And believe so in how yourself. Sorry, oh, yeah. and believe in yourself, Isabella. If you can't, you will not sell to that boyfriend or that employer if you don't believe in yourself. Absolutely. So where did you go to school? I think you mentioned it a minute ago, but where did you go to school and how did you get from whether it was high school or college, which I know it was college, to where you are now? How did you and what was that path like? The interesting thing is that my sixth grade teacher told me she thought I should pursue something in writing because I was good at it. And I don't think I ever forgot that. In high school, I took a journalism course. I loved it. And the teacher recommended a summer program at the university that had a very good journalism program, which I did, and that sold me forever on going to Northwestern University. From there, I went out and tried to be a teacher, which is what my father recommended I do for a profession. So for three years, I was a high school journalism advisor, and we won awards for the yearbook, and we did dances to raise money for the, for the things we need to give, but I was not increasing my own uh, intellect. Um, so I went back to graduate school, uh, I had originally wanted to be a writer. Uh, teaching was just a safe job, and that was what most fathers told daughters at the time. But I went back to school, decided to try to find a job in magazine, could not find a job in magazine, but found a job in public relations. And from there, I worked 10 years in a national agency, then was given a chance to start my own agency, um, which was a, a very interesting time. I had a two and a half year old and a 10 day year old baby. I had to make a decision very quickly because he gave me 10 days to do so about whether I wanted to strike out on my own, which my husband was you know, terrified of, but I did it and I carried her around in a backpack and my backpack on my tummy and found a space and started my own agency. And the rest is history. I, on the other hand, I had to support myself and so I had to decide what industry to go into and I was looking at the development in the Silicon Valley at the time of the beginning of the PC and so I said wow I think there's going to be a lot of business there and so I worked around and got my first client and worked in um, tech especially in the like I said in the PC realm and all of the devices that attach and make a PC work better and then one a day I got a, a uh, a, a reference, a reference from one of my clients to Atari. So from there, I got into the video game business. In both cases, I was pioneering. I didn't even particularly think about it. But when I was in the PC to PR industry, there were no women doing PR. There were very few men doing PR for technology startups in the Silicon Valley. 20 years later, when I got a referral to the video game business, there were no agencies working in the video game industry was in microcosm. So I did it. Um, I think you have to be ready to reach out and grab the brass ring when somebody offers it to you. 
which is an old slogan about the carousel. You run a carousel and there's a grass ring and at the very beginning of carousels, if you got the brass ring, you got another ride. Well, I did that. I grabbed the brass ring, started my own agency, moved into industries that weren't um, popular yet um, for either women or men. Um, being a woman, it was extraordinarily difficult to prove that I could do it, um, but I just decided I would. and that kept going. Um, eventually, I became interested in how video games could be used in education, which brought me full circle back to education, how we can use game-based elements for um, learning. So I'm not sure what that, that time frame is, but how old is Sirius Play? Because that's your company. Yes, I retired from my agency business about 10 years ago, but I had started a conference based on this experience in the video game industry for video games, or we don't call them video anymore, but just serious games or games that are for training or learning um, could be used to uh, engage the, the participant and retain, help them retain the information. So I started this conference uh, 15 years ago and moved it around to various universities around the country and three years ago brought it to you know, the University of Central Florida. There were a couple of people from the Serious Play Conference that I've met and I've worked with you, I think it's two years, maybe it's three, but I'm gonna say two. Um, and in the course of that time, I've met some really amazing people in the serious game industry for sure. Uh, the couple of them have been on my show and one was John Shulman and then the other one was Kevin Miller delightful guests so I'm good I think I may even include a little bit of their snippets in the show when we go into the post side of it just to let people have a preview as to what's going on but very excited about this year's conference when is it going to be and where is it on the ground or all virtual this year it's June 15 to 17 oh, sorry June 13 to 17. The first three days are the conference sessions where there's basically a different talk every hour for three days plus night activities. And then we have two days if people are preferred to have skilled workshops that are day long. We're at UCF um, this year. We were there three years ago before COVID hit. Then we were virtual for two years and now we're at UCF again, and it's spreading to be a conference that the whole university is supporting. Different schools will participate in giving speakers, but also helping me with some of the labor of the conference. Mm, that's good to hear. Will it be down at the downtown location of the conference? There's oh, a even building better. that is primarily um, there's a building that is primarily um, communications buildings or zone as DPACs, um, which mm -hmm. is across the street from FIA, which is the digital graduate school program in animation and games. And those are just right across the street. So be those two facilities, very nice facilities this year. And we will be live with virtual speakers for some of the sessions so that we can bring in international uh, professors and companies that can provide a different look at where the industry is worldwide, but live only really for attendance, or you can buy the recordings of the whole conference afterward. So if people are going to be signed, and I've got your website so that we'll be sharing that out there also when it's uh, when the show airs, and we'll do it in, in promotion too of the event, but 
if people are attending, um, where should they be staying? Is it where can they register? Go ahead and share the website right now because this is really big. It's a, always a big conference. And I don't think they know what industries are involved, too. So I'm throwing a lot at you there. All right. The, the interesting thing about the Serious Play Conference is that we started out thinking we would only really be of interest to teachers. Um, that's where my background was. But the first conference we had, we had people from healthcare, we had nonprofit organizations like the Red Cross, we had veterinary organizations, and everybody said, please let us all come because we're all trying to learn about this new technology that is spreading across education and, and improving both engagement and retention. So today we are seven tracks. We help developers learn how to do serious games. We also serve the higher education community that is training those teachers and also training young people who wanna go into actually making training games or educational games. And then we serve the healthcare industries so that they can create programs to train their nurses, for instance, um, where that's uh, an industry that use serious games to quickly get nurses up to speed on the kinds of things they would need to know to serve the COVID influx of patients. And we have a corporate sector, which is helping companies understand how to engage their staff and train them more efficiently, more effectively, and less expensively. So it ranges across all of those fields. We bring the military in. In some cases, the military leads us because they were the original industry that used games, but today they also look to developers who have new technology like virtual reality to help them do training better of things like maintenance of an airplane. So it's across all those industries and it is an attempt for anyone who wants to learn how to create or purchase or evaluate or just um, use and implement game-based learning programs. Mm -hmm. I remember, yeah, the corporate track. I remember there was um, education, defense, and then obviously, um, as you mentioned, healthcare. I think uh, the one that I, is there a separate one for startups actually? There is a developer conference and I really hope we can get the word out about that because there's a lot of good business advice there and also information on how locally UCF provides an incubator for those startup companies, but also for a more advanced developer, how to um, improve your business overseas and what opportunities there are for selling educational games in private schools in Europe or even the Middle East. So if, if somebody like I work today, I am down at Orlando Game Space. Are you still accepting speakers? We're at capacity for speakers, um, but we'd be happy to have someone who really is interested, um, see if they can apply to be, um, if we have any cancellations, we'll be happy to look at those. Okay, good to know. And obviously they could be a sponsor, I imagine. Well, one of the interesting things about being live is that you can have hands-on demonstration of the products that are being talked about in the sessions. In the sessions, we don't promote products. In the sessions, they talk about how the learning program was developed, the challenges, the objectives, the strategy, the assessment. They're helping people learn how training can be picked apart to understand why it is good because it is using these game-based elements. 
But with our live program back at UCF, we will have a huge exhibit hall. And during the lunch hour, before the session and after the session, at all these times, people can go and look at the products that are being demonstrated. We have an awards program. So the award winners will come and show their games. And we have sponsors who are sponsoring, for instance, lunch in the exhibit hall to help people um, have a reason to go over and, and skip lunch. Um, and we have um, a, an evening game night where you can go and see these games as well. I'm super excited about that because as you know, I have several companies and and you and I collaborate, but one of them is Cat5 Studios. And so Cat5 has produced a game, Enter Pursuit game, it's on Steam, a little self-serving you know, promotion there. But the, the game itself, it's not educational, but it has an educational spin to it. Every planet has a, a skill that they're learning to earn um, in the game. My goal is to get Cat5 moved over into that serious um, game area. And what I liked about your conference too is that people can network like crazy and that you can meet so many people and there's opportunities across the pond, so to speak. Quite a few speakers um, who are looking to do a, a game meet people at the conference and hire them to do their game. So developers mm -hmm. have an opportunity for business there's also larger contracts to be held, or interestingly enough, sometimes people who are actually volunteering for the conference end up with a job. Last year, we had one of the volunteer hosts for the track in the uh, development, uh, sorry, in the defense area, learn what it takes to get a military contract. Most of his contracts had been corporate. So now he has a contract for uh, how to maintain a piece of equipment um, with virtual training using Quest rather than having hundreds of people in a classroom, which most people were going to sleep in. And the military has hired them for a multi-million dollar contract. So there is a great opportunity to network. It's one of the strengths of the conference. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. Um, and I'm sure that aside from being a sponsor, are there exhibitor opportunities? Yes, there'll be quite a few people that are gonna show their game. For instance, um, the last uh, live conference we had a very small company that did tabletop games for teachers to use in classroom sold out. We're hoping that same thing will happen this year, but it is there's very little opportunity with all the digital products to actually experience them and talk to the developer themselves. It's all uh, you know this this vague thing about being online. So that's what I think is valuable to most exhibitors to have people touch and feel your products. And even if they're not buying, they will give you the feedback you need to make it more successful. Mm -hmm. I totally get that one. Well, so what's the size of this conference too? Like how many people attend it? Uh, keep in mind, I know that we're talking about you know, virtual, which was all the past two years, and now you're back on the ground, but it sounds like you've got like thousands of people attending. Well. It's not thousands yet. Maybe it will be. It's certainly hundreds. And it's a little hard to tell what's going to happen this year. But a couple of things are interesting. Last year, we actually had 500 people, right around the number of 500, participating in one way or another, online um, as hosts or volunteering to help or just listening um, and, or speaking. This year, we will be live, um, except for the virtual speakers who we can, the live people can listen to in a conference room set up for a Zoom conference. And this year, 
We don't know. I mean, I'm hoping we will have several hundred. Maybe it'll go up to 500 um, or more. I'm having more early inquiries about sponsoring, more early inquiries about signing up before I even have the program up and the registration fixed. So I have high hopes that this will really will be a good year where we'll have someplace between 300 and 600. Big span, but I'm just not sure at this point. Yeah, who can tell, right? Every month it's like, okay, well, what's going to happen this month in, in the world of COVID? The new COVID variety that they're talking about on the news is very scary. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, you were recognized in as one of the top 100 women in the game industry and also separately even in public relations. You know, how does... Is that an application? How does somebody get recognized for that? Because I know you've been working hard, but like, you know, I sit here and I go, I work hard too. Should, do you recommend that I apply for things? Is that how somebody gets recognized? None of those um, honors really were applied for. I think you need to search the sites for, for the opportunities um, because sometimes there is an application I think that the media does try to pick out the leaders in any industry, almost any online or print magazine will have an editorial calendar that you can look up and perhaps find if something is coming up. To me, it's just about working hard and somehow it all works out. Um, I was in an industry where there were very few women. I just didn't let that bother me. I got introduced as, okay, you wanna meet the CEO? Here's the CEO, Mr. Bola once, because my staff was laughing at someone insistent on meeting the man. Um, it's more open for women today, hooray. Um, but we all have to be part of that movement. And I do have a story I tell about that. I don't know how many of you out there remember Gloria Steinem. But in the 70s, she's now in her 70s, but in the, in the 1970s, she broke away and had a magazine promoting women. It was unheard of. And she really drove opportunities saying, women are capable of working in corporations. We can really do it. Well, I met her once. And I think she's the only woman that I ever was so stunned by, I couldn't think of a question or something to say to her. But I finally garbled out when I was walking her across to a, a, a speech she was doing. Gloria, so many of us have reason to thank you for promoting women. And she said to me, oh, Sue, thank you very much. But what are you doing to promote women? So I think we all need to think about that. What are we doing? Um, I never compete with men. I just do my own thing. And I don't hire, I never hired women for more money or less money, importantly, less money than I was working for men, but I never really thought about it. I always looked at the quality of that person. I think women also have a, a place where we can shine. We are generally more outgoing. We are generally more empathetic to personalities. We can do anything we want. Totally agree with you on that one too, because as a woman, also business owner. I'm in a place where when when women work with me, I sit them down, I go, I'm going to expect more out of you than I do from the guys because they already have more of a team mindset and they're more competitive than usually women are. So I expect more. I want you to surpass them. They are your allies. Make no mistake. But, you know, if you're trying to get a job, don't ever think that you're less. You've got to always see yourself as more. 
than what, what it is. And those unique characteristics that you just shared about being empathetic and, you know, usually I think women are also natural um, educators and, and leaders in, in many respects than, than sometimes men, honestly. I feel like that's some of our strengths that we can leverage that comes to the table and it really is making a, a bigger impact. I feel that trying to leverage all of those feminine uh, qualities and be assertive and competitive and still maintain that team orientation is something that I think that we we can do. I've sadly worked with some women that are not as uh, supportive of our gender as we should be. So I feel like we as women, we should be very, very supportive of other women and not see it as a competition as to who's better than the other, but like let's team oriented thinking. Absolutely. Um, and if you have, I always say two things. When you go in to interview for a job, figure out, ask to meet the person who will be your supervisor and listen to what that person says about what your career path can be if you perform. By the same token, once you are the boss, look at the people underneath you, men and women, but offer them the chance to grow as quickly as they can. And remember that if they grow quickly, they will be supporting your ascent as well. Yeah, nobody gets to the top by themselves. They, they really don't. There's always somebody that has helped you along the way. And that includes parents that, hello, you didn't get into this world without them. So there's, yeah, we are never here just to serve ourselves. We are always here to serve others. And if we stay in that mindset, it's not all about me. It's about, you know, everybody else that I'm here to serve, whether they're customers, family, friends, we can certainly give a lot of recognition and, and help each other get to achieve those goals. It's also about asking questions. You know, I had a boss once who taught me, I thought he taught me to write. Um, and I talked to him about that once. And he said, Sue, I didn't teach you how to write. You taught yourself. But the, re the way that you taught yourself was by being in front of my desk for every question you had. You kept coming in saying, I don't really get this. How do I do this? You asked me, took me to lunch and you asked me, how did you get where you are? You stayed late. And if I was around, you would come in and say, what more can I do? How can I advance? Tell me what I'm not doing perfectly. And you taught yourself by asking the questions of a mentor but you taught yourself, if I had not had you in in front of my desk, you wouldn't have learned because I was busy with my own job. It was you asking for my time that helped you move ahead. Mm -hmm. Yep, I think that's sound wisdom that you received at that point in time. One of the things that I always uh, also say when I interview with people, I say, tell me what you can take off my shoulders because if you can do that, you know, you're somebody that's going to lead, you're not going to be afraid, you're going to ask questions, you're going to do all of the things that are there, but you're here to solve a problem. So ask me exactly what my problems are. You are so right. We are on the same page, Sue. I love that's that. why we're friends. Yes, and I would agree. Seek friends that, that you admire, um, that share things with you that you don't know. That's the best kind of friend. Mm-hmm. How do you like to communicate with others? Is it like in person, video chat? I mean, that's all we do now in 
past two years, it's been more of that than anything. Phone, text, social channels, do you have preferences? You know, the funny thing about COVID and our use of Zoom is that I feel that I can become friends and can know people over Zoom, and I would never have thought that before. I've had interns who've worked for me that I've never met, and I feel like I've helped them and they've helped me. So I think that we have learned and everybody should respect and not be tired of Zoom calls because Zoom can be instrumental in getting to know someone. There's also a little bit of a shield. I mean, you can be more informal. Um, you can still ask all those questions, but you can do it virtually. But communicating, you know, the interesting thing, I think I'm the last person that still sends out a Christmas letter. <laughs> We're changing. We're yeah. changing. Um, and I'm using Zoom more and more. I mean, I'm really anxious to get back to a place where we are in a room and we're networking and I really know my attendees are asking for that and I'm looking forward to it. But I think any communications that you do with someone else can be useful and you need to develop a skill and a comfort with them so that if that is your requirement that you can do it. My daughter who followed me into the communications field was interviewed by Zoom like 15 years ago, it was brand new. She was in a room and she was interviewing for uh, the office of a company in another uh, city. And I just couldn't imagine that she could survive that. I thought she'd be scared to death, but she was quite a verbal person and it worked. And I, after that, I thought to myself, you know, I can use it to interview people. I can use it to sell people. Um, I'd be interested to know whether any journalists are using Zoom. I think not too many. You're still going to have to sell in writing if you're a public relations person. So you need to be using all forms of communication. And journalists are finding themselves also having to sell themselves on television. I mean, what journalist mm -hmm. went through that worked for the New York, works for the New York Times or works for uh, Time Inc. or works for Vogue or whatever, ever thought they'd be interviewed on CNN. Now you see regularly the correspondence from print, what used to be print papers being interviewed by television. We've become experts. We've become part of the interview process. So we need to be able to communicate in all way, ways. And I think that also that the cell phone is really helping with that. You can use your cell phone mm -hmm. to, you know, to communicate just directly, but you can also use it to promote a video on something. You can be a reporter using your phone and filming the situation. I mean, look what's happening in the war-torn parts of the world, uh, like Ukraine right now. It is very common to see on the national news programs, video that's being sent out by citizens in those war-torn cities. Um, and that's how we're communicating into Russia to let them know what's really going on. So. Not to be dated, but I, but, you know, I think that that's going to keep being a form of communications is being able to communicate across text, across video, across Zoom, across every form of communication. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, well, as you mentioned, phones are used for, they're not phones. They are tiny little computers, you know, it's like tiny. It's a little computer, but it holds such power, right? Because as you mentioned, videos, we can do interviews. I think journalism has definitely crossed, obviously, from print because we see so many journalists 
over in other countries and they're sharing the news with us, but through social channels, everything is distributed in, in a lot of formats. So for people to not be aware of something seems almost unheard of because of the way that we are consuming information through a phone, to be honest. The, you um, must learn. You must learn. I mean, yeah. I didn't grow up with social media, but I must use it today. Oh, gosh, yeah. You'd be like totally lost uh, or off the grid by choice, one or the other. <laughs> Something, something's going on there for sure. Um, you, I was trying to go back and I should have taken a little note based on something that you had said about um, about the times that, oh, it'll come back to me. Anyway, another question that came up is, you've seen many people communicating through generations in different ways based on just the longevity of your life here that you've had. So when you were first uh, introduced to communications, you know, it was like all print, I would assume, correct? And we had yes. TV and radio, right? The great thing about podcasts, this is what I was going to say, is podcast has almost made everybody a journalist, but you don't have to go and get permission like you do a radio station to disseminate information. You can just have it be your own platform, if you will, and you know share whatever the message is that you want to share, which is, you know, my podcast is about the intern whisper. I share tips every week with employers about how they can, you know, get along and help the intern learn more. For example, you, you also said something. <laughs> we think, uh, this is one of the tips I usually share is like, so you think that when you send an email, everybody knows what BCC and CC means and reply all. They do not. <laughs> when they're in school, they don't even think about what that means. Or, oh, you can't put that out there because this isn't, this is a company. You have to ask permission. You can't just go and put that video up about here. You need to say, hey, is it okay if I post this video about your company or whatever? There's things that people just don't even consider as, as students because they've been born with the phone in their hand and they don't think about necessarily protocols. Anyway, that's the point of the intern whisper is to share that information and bring you know thought leaders like yourself in and we can talk about things. But historically, when you look at how communication has transformed, you saw it from print and TV and radio and and it's moved through, it seems like, the speed of light to get to where we are now. Yes. It, it, life advances at about a decade and a year. It seems so speedy. Now, personally, I have a thought that at some point the grid's going to go down and people will need to know how to read, like newspapers, or be able to you know, read or write their signature because people don't even know how to write signatures. They, they don't teach that in elementary school anymore, cursive writing. And we just do digital signatures. But I believe that the grid will go down and you know, stuff is gonna change. What are your thoughts on that? Well, lately I've been interested in the fact that there's more than one internet or there will be more than one internet and the intersection of that will not be what we think it is right now. For instance, China is building its own internet. Russia is building its own internet. I would hope that we may come to a better situation where everything is shared as it was at first. And what people don't know is that 
your computer is part of the internet, it supports it with its technology. Um, it's not run off some big giant computer somewhere. So we're all part of it and cyber uh, attacks could bring it down. I think that is more the situation that that the internet will continue and everything will go digital, newspapers, magazines, we won't have a print edition. I'm being told I should cancel my New York Times. I won't do it, I still read it every day. But I think everything's going digital and then the next round will be to continue to improve the cybersecurity and we will still have more of a digital um, way of communicating. That said, I mentioned earlier that I'm anxious to get back to face-to-face. -to -face. We can't, we have been able to use the video of Zoom to talk and, and create relationships with people that we don't know over space of time, but we do need that personal touch and everybody needs that. It is not people that are alone and lonely suffer from not having that the same way a prisoner in solitary does not deal well mentally with being alone. So I think we will, we will still, I think, continue to move and have better technology. And um, I just hope that people will be there. Like, I think I get as much out of young people as they get out of my teaching. And that's because they are ahead of the curve of technology because they grew up with it, like you said. So if my nine-year-old granddaughter is the one who helps me use the TV <laughs> remote or the, the phone in the new way, we just have to continue to learn how to, to uh, learn from younger people. So I think dependence on younger people for a certain amount of our knowledge for communication is gonna become a bigger theme than it ever used to be in the past when we were dismissed to go to bed because adults were gonna handle something. Oh gosh, yeah. I would agree with you on that one. So we're going to take just a moment to acknowledge our sponsor, Cat5 Studios. The Intern Whisperer is brought to you by Cat5 Studios, who help you create games and videos for your training and marketing needs that are out of this world. Visit Cat5 Studios for more information to learn how Cat5 Studios can help your business. Thank you, Cat5 Studios. And we are back to the second half of the show. So our guest is Sue Bola, and she is the uh, director, the president of Serious Play Conference. She's the founder. She's everything all about that Serious Play Conference. Uh, in this part of our show, Sue, we talk about the um, what we think the future of jobs and industries will look like in 2030. It's anybody's guess. There's no right or wrong answer. Um, COVID, but we'll start with that one. It obviously had an impact on the world for two years, and it just seems like even still now, things are getting back into uh, what we'll call what seemed normal. I heard on the news coming into the office on the NPR station that uh, the CDC is saying that, oh, people should maybe go get uh, round four of the vaccine. Good. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, just to make sure that they stay, you know, boosted and immune to it. But we know that it's had a huge impact on business. We've seen a lot of companies shut their doors. Um, but there were things that almost overnight, they just blew up like crazy. Zoom is one of them. We're using Zoom right now. And a lot of uh, video services had to transform, and that includes the education industry. Just as one, it's like, oh, how do we teach all of these thousands of students, you know, with when we're used to being on the ground and they may not have had 
some kind of an online presence to distribute their knowledge and the professors to educate the students. What do you think the impact has been? I know you felt it because in your business, you had an on the ground conference. What was that like for you in 2020, 2021? How did you have to adapt? We had to flip immediately because COVID really became um, a phenomena that could not be avoided about April um, before my conference in June. So we totally flipped and had to come up with the technology to support Zoom for 100 sessions, which is not easy. You can support Zoom for a few sessions easily. Supporting for 100 is a whole technology nightmare. So we changed and we did it and we, we did it hands-on, but there are a lot of companies that can support a platform like that easily. What I think about um, COVID's impact though is really more than my conference, which is a single event, is it's impacted the whole work style of the world. I have um, two children, uh, grown children with two spouses, all of whom work. And the interesting thing about it, it is three out of the four work virtually. That is just totally beyond blowing my mind. Um, my daughter went every day to work and one day overnight, she didn't leave her house for two years except for, for going out when she needed to take the kids to school and when they were back in school. Um, we had school kids at home wearing, you know, online having to learn how to do that. And I think those things are not all gonna change. For instance, I'm also ordering online. I did it for safety. But I also did it as I began to realize how much time it could send me that I didn't have to go to that place of business and shop. I could just order it and have it delivered to my door. And I think that virtual, um, I have a, a, a former employee who runs his company totally virtually, saving all that money that I spent on, on uh, space and, and parking and all of that. And I see my daughter who's taken a position as a senior person in the marketing consulting saying she's never gonna have to go to an office because the headquarters is in Seattle and it's a virtual company. So I think a lot of these things are changed and I don't think they're bad. Whereas it's been crazy for my daughter and daughter-in-law to be home with the kids when they had school at home. They also learned more effective ways to, be, to deal with that. Um, and the, thank goodness the kids are back in school but they are working at home and they don't have to spend the time going to the office every day. So they don't wanna go back to work. They're, they've taken jobs where they don't have to. They haven't been belligerent or been forced into a situation of change, but it has worked out for them very successfully. Yeah, I can totally agree with you on that one. I know that the world, we, the food industry was also impacted heavily because people were going, okay, we, we need food. We want food. We don't want, how do we get our groceries? It, it just, it changed everything. So new businesses popped up where, you know, food delivery was really overnight expanded there. We already had Uber Lyft and I mean, Uber Eats, but food delivery became just way accelerated in how they were distributing that. Um, the biggest, I think the biggest hurdle was like little kids. K through, you know, five, K through fifth grade with making sure that those kids got educated because they need playtime, they need socializ socialization skills. And I think that when we were talking about earlier in the show is one of the biggest areas. I, I feel like at some point people will go back to the office because 
we're made for relationship and people crave that relationship and being able to interact and face to face. It may not be five days out of the week for some businesses, but for the most part, I think it's going to be okay. Let's come on back. Flexible schedules, if you will. Uh, absolutely. I think flexible. I mean, when COVID first hit, I couldn't imagine not having an office and having my staff around me, but today I could. Today I can imagine letting people work offsite and having a, a talk at the end of the day on Zoom and one day a week having them in the office. I think it can work. I think it works better probably with adults, but with children, I think that the kids are the ones that are um, yeah, having, and yeah, and they will adapt, but there's still this socialization need that is there that I, I just don't see that online video does it. It just it can't compare to being with a live person. I think you're right. Although there are some kids who didn't do well in crowds who are performing better at school. I mean, I think there yeah. are some who are better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Agreed. So this is where perhaps virtual reality, augmented reality, the ability to create holograms and whoop, transport yourself to someplace else, being able to have digital twins and truly like a digital twin, like here, I'm going to go out and play and get rid of all of that energy. Anything could be possible now. And people would say, oh, no, that wasn't. Same with our grandmas. Everything changes. But oh, yes, goodness. VR is being used for training. Um, I have done some consulting work with a company that is based on a surgeon an orthopedic surgeon who saw that the training for all surgeons, which required one time on a cadaver in medical school, and then maybe even years of waiting to do surgery could be taught in virtual reality. And in fact, that resident in a medical school could perform so, many, so much practice and feel so immersive and so a part of the surgery that in fact, he could train in the morning and do a surgery without ever having to watch it. That's mind-boggling. And the military is also using virtual reality in new ways. They're using it, for instance, for maintenance training where they had rooms of people in school-like classes learning. And today they do it where they can actually be on hands and operate the thing and feel like they can do it the next day. 100 people trained at the same time. It would have taken weeks to do it. I sit here and I think, yeah, I can see advantages to doing like surgery for sure. But there's this place where you take the scalpel and you're cutting into the skin and the amount of pressure that it takes. And I'm going, how do they adapt to that? Because I, I understand that it could be simulated. I, I get that. So where if I'm pressing too hard, it's going to go beep, 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 beep. It's going to give me a warning signal. Nope, you, you just nicked the artery or whatever. But I think that... Um, that's a game setting. That's not the same as working on a live person. Well, actually, most training um, for, for doctors is watching, 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 watching another surgeon. If you have a surgeon doing something in virtual reality and you can go in there and see his hands and then you can take your hands and participate, it feels like you are learning surgeon to surgeon. The name of this mm. company is Precision OS. Precision OS Tech is their website, and it's absolutely fascinating. I would recommend anybody who's thinking about using virtual reality see how the life-threatening moment that a surgeon picks up a scalpel and does go and make that incision can be taught virtually in days. 
rather than years of watching. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I'm going to look for them at the series play conference. So I know that you're going to need lots of volunteers for that. Um, we, uh, we should definitely say, okay, can, how can people volunteer for this event? Well, I'm going to need people to register to add ribbons for badges. So we know who is a speaker, who is an exhibitor. I'm going to need people who can take the videos as the, we are doing a video today and just edit it so that it can be um, posted for everyone to look at afterward. And I'm just going to need people to also monitor the rooms and making sure that every session is recorded. So there's a lot of opportunity for, for participation and you do get a free registration for basically a full day of, of volunteering in some way, which might mean sitting in a room in a track for a day you or sitting at the registration desk, you can then go and see the rest of the conference free. And there is a place on the website where you can sign up for that. That's good to hear. So is it Serious Play Conference or what's the website? Serious Play with an abbreviation for conference, conf.com. Okay. Seriousplayconf.com. Okay, well, that's good for people to know. Um, robots, augmented reality, I think I've only got you for another couple minutes because I remember you saying that you had to take off. Um, any of those comments that you want to share, virtual reality, augmented reality, robots, you have a preference? A topic would be of interest to more people. There certainly is robotics. There certainly is virtual reality, which is the newest thing, but there's also speakers who will talk about how to analyze whether or not you have a successful program, just the basics of of thinking it's exciting to learn that way may not prove out to be actually true. So you want to be able to evaluate it. And as opposed to having to buy time on IBM's big calculator, there are software programs that you can use. So the conference covers all aspects of creating, making, evaluating, purchasing, and implementing serious games and simulations. Mm -hmm. Any great mentoring advice you want to pass on to our listeners? Just decide whether or not you want to continue to be an interesting person. <laughs> choose a career. Choose a career that keeps you young and enjoying life. That is good advice there also. And how can people connect with you? Do you prefer LinkedIn through your website, which you just shared? I think probably just uh, connecting directly with me. My email is very easy. Sue at seriousplayconf.com pretty much the website with my first name in front of it. And I'm happy to share any questions, share, share information and answer any questions. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's always a pleasure to get to speak with you and it's always so nice. I know you're coming back to Florida, so I look forward to giving you a hug. Well, me too. Thanks so much, Isabella. Bye-bye. <laughs>